You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. I've got a dilemma. A dear friend of mine is going to raise $20 million this year professionally for hospitals. That's what she does. I'm torn and I need advice from our guest today. It's her calling, Kids Cancer. She's brilliant at helping raise serious dollars for hospitals that serve them. And here's what she's going to know after our breakfast tomorrow. Number one, half the nearly $4 trillion spend in healthcare is with hospitals. More than big pharma. It's big, big. Hospitals are aggressively driving prices up. Outcomes are going down. Unprecedented spirals on both counts historically. And here's the game hospitals play. They can buy a PCP for a song today, literally zero, and they start paying them double their previous salary, but they take away all their worries. Actually not, because they have fresh worries, but we'll get to that with our guest. How do they do this? Well, they can charge out four times to the patient's insurance the next day. Why? Because they've got that golden ticket for a long time now as they see the poor. They need a 4X break, they say. It's not really better care, it's higher cost care, period. The hospitals get free income taxes, and that's not enough. So they also have free property taxes, free personal property taxes, because the local hospital tax pay isn't enough. In other words, we're paying into a hospital tax on top of the breaks they're getting. So that's about a 40 to 50% price advantage over independents who are across the street from them. It's an unlevel playing field and it's tilted now to a 440% advantage pricing wise for the hospitals. There's another neat little trick. Man, can they raise capital. In fact, no charity category, not animals or the environment or education or the poor, the disasters, the disease of the month comes even close to hospitals. In fact, 80% of the top 50 fundraising organizations in America hospitals. The feds also pay a three years of salaries for every one of about 100,000 residents at teaching hospitals. Residents are paid 60. They're billed out at about $2.4 million. POTUS budget issued last week stops that and hospitals are screaming bloody murder. And that is huevos grandissimo in light of everything else I've said. POTUS is also testing a transparency initiative on pricing like California just adopted. The same blood-curdling whining we heard in California, we're now hearing across the nation. <clears throat> Grandissimo. I love that word. Feels like a cross between Pitbull and Ricardo Montalban. But wait, there's more. 20% own the local Chuba plans, unknown to us. They don't have to disclose it. So they can bully the docs who won't sell to them nor refer to them. And they're not pressuring the little guys as much as the big groups who quake in fear. They used to have the power of referrals, big groups, no more. Who has the power now? Bitch. There's one more card to play, raw power. So free tax, pricing, subsidies locally and federally, chuba clout, 
That's all locked up. But just to make sure you're protecting the game, you need a lobby. The best that money can buy and a war chest to buy influence. Big healthcare the past 20 years has outspent the next four categories combined. Now I'm talking about big oil, Silicon Valley, Wall Street, and defense. All combined, big healthcare spends more. There are tell-all books written about the power of those four. There's none on hospitals or big care, big healthcare in the mainstream. The two best lobbies in D.C. are well known to be ARP and NRA. Together, they spent 20 million last year. Big healthcare last year spent 550 million dollars. That's a factor of 25x. We love our local hospitals, though. People say, you know, they sponsored that 5K, and the kids they help. I know somebody that got treated there. And their billboard and TV ads are just the best. Their galas, the best in town. Their boards are our finest local citizens. Can they all be wrong? And by the way, did I mention the kids with cancer? Until the patients get a bill, 70% are utterly shocked, according to studies. The average stay is 10000 a day. That would shock anybody because that's enough to stay for 30 to 40 days at the finest hotel in your town. Two more things they'll say. Overstay tricks, and Josh Luke is going to tell us about these. Check out, it's at 12.01, let's say. Oops, uh, we'll check you out at 12.02. So the checkout times get pushed back and they get to charge another day. So scheduling checkouts is a moneymaker. And at Cancer Wards, the daily rate can run $35,000, not 10000 Which takes me back to my quandary. If they own 55 to 58% of all the PCPs, and they've used all these advantages to basically own primary care to sell beds, if they own all the referrals, if all these corporate-owned docs have higher and faster burnout rates, if 35 to 70% of hospital docs at any one given day are burned out, and if medical error rates are soaring at 10,000 a day, 200,000 deaths annually attributed, and by the way, opioids are one-third of that number and they get all the headlines, but these medical errors do not. So what I want to tell my friend over breakfast is her life's work needs a tune-up, a rethink. Today, meet a four-time CEO of various types of hospitals. He was an insider. He's now telling the truth. He's here today on great authority. Dr. Josh Luke, am I doing my hospital-loving friend a disservice giving her these cold, hard facts about hospitals? <laughs> Well, uh, that's yet to be seen, but thanks so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And wow, just, uh, I made so many notes just on your opening monologue there. I, I'm not sure we're going to be able to jam this all into a half hour, but man, I can tell we're going to get along well because we're going to talk about some things that the, the listeners need to know that they might not be aware of at present. So Josh, we're not going to try to get to all of these facts, but it's the point is doctors know intuitively about the problem, uh, especially if they've been bought because the new set of problems they have are pressure corporate medicine referrals to their hospitals instead of their old patterns. So really, if I'm a physician today, this they know what's going on. And that's part of the burnout issue too, is there just seems to be no hope. So let's talk about your history, Josh. You worked inside the beast for most of your career. What influenced you to start telling all and in working on your solutions to the problem? Well, I became a hospital CEO at age 32. And what's crazy, Ron, is that um, it was my first job in a hospital because I was actually trained in the nursing homes. 
And just to put a little perspective, because a lot of folks are like, whoa, that's a big leap. How'd that happen? It was a very small hospital. It was an aging hospital that was just trying to stay open. And it had a nursing home under its license. It also had a behavioral health unit, a geropsych under its license. And those are two things that I had significant experience doing and, and was well-versed with the local physicians in marketing too. And the third issue with that small hospital in Anaheim at the time was, Anaheim, California was, they had four nursing homes directly across the street, driveway to driveway, that essentially told them, we don't have any faith in your quality delivery anymore, so we're going to take patients elsewhere. There's a new hospital half a mile away, we're just going to go there. And they're literally driveway to driveway, right? So this hospital was, uh, you know, lucky for me, I'd been working hard for years to prepare for this opportunity to lead, and they called me and said, we're willing to take a chance on you and make you our CEO. They gave me some very specific goals, and I was able to blow those out of the water within a couple of months on a few of them and a couple of years on the other. And after four years there, I got recruited to go be the CEO of a, of a different hospital on the other side of Disneyland, on the other side of Anaheim, California, bigger hospital, uh, more units. And so seven or eight years in to be in a hospital CEO, I found myself out of a job. A new boss came in and had his own folks. And I became the CEO of an acute rehab hospital. And this is now after the Affordable Care Act was passed. So now I'm back on the outside as a post-acute provider. And everything was supposed to change with the ACA for post-acute. We were supposed to get a seat at the table now. Now, remember, I started in post-acute as a nursing home administrator, went to the acute desk all the way to the top, the CEO spot, and then found myself back outside as a post-acute provider. And I wasn't even there a year because I said, nothing's really changed. Everything was supposed to change with this new healthcare reform. But the the arrogance of the hospitals uh, has led them, look, they've never once set foot in any of those nursing homes, even driveway to driveway. They've never engaged them in a conversation. They don't know the first thing about them. Their physicians that discharge to them every day don't know the first thing about what goes on over there. And so I ended up coming back to Southern California because that acute rehab uh, hospital was in Las Vegas, Nevada. Came back and became one of the first uh, in the country vice presidents over post-acute care, which is really a calling I was prepped for, right? I'd been on both sides of it. That was back in 2011 and 12 before it was kind of cool to do that. So I started developing strategy with others across the country on how we can implement this thing called value-based care. And so as we did that, what we found was we were getting pushback from across the country from the hospital C-suite because the reality is this hospital game had been a really, really good gig. Look, we put a head in a bed, we send a bill, we get paid, and there were no checks and balances. There was nobody to question it. And anytime they did, we just had our physician pound his or her fist a little harder and raise their voice and say, doggone it, pay me. And so what I, what I ended up doing, the long answer to your question is this, I founded the National Readmission Prevention Collaborative. It's still online at nationalreadmissionprevention.com. It's not-for-profit. We also have the National Bundled Payment Collaborative. And I just started created this portal for people across the country that wanted to adhere to value-based care. Because the reality, guys, is we don't have a choice. There's no money left in the Medicare fund. We have to transform. That's why the Republican majority after uh, President Trump's election was three strikes and you're out, unable to undo the ACA, because there's nowhere to go because we, we can't go back to a system without checks and balances. So we're continuing down that path to value-based care. And I've become an outspoken spokesperson, not just for transformational care, but back in 2017, Forbes reached out to me and asked me if I would essentially become a voice to American businesses on how to make healthcare affordable, pull back the curtain on 
on hospitals, doctors, and insurers, and and really teach Americans how to make healthcare affordable. So that's the long answer to your question, Ron. Well, Josh, I, your prescription really is about educating the consumer. There are, <clears throat> in your world, educated and uneducated. And the problem I have with that is if you had everybody's full attention for the time you needed to get them on board with your message, um, you have the world's finest TED Talk. My my take is that a lot of people are going to forget the next day what they're supposed to do. They, there doesn't seem to be a stickiness to it. And that concerns me because you have such a, a powerful podium and a powerful microphone. Yeah, such a great point. And you know what? Nobody's ever actually pointed that out so directly to me. And, and next week, I'll be doing a TED Talk down at an employee benefits event in, in, in Miami. And, and what's interesting, Ron, is that um, it, it starts with the employer because the the individual American, like myself and yourself, feels powerless. They feel like, hey, I'm voting for president, but does my vote really count? It feels the same in terms of the battle to make health care affordable in this country. But what I want to ask your listeners is this. You may not have heard of all these companies, but I'm pretty sure you've heard of one of them because in 2018, they all not just made slight changes to their health care benefits for their employees. They literally declared war on health care. Walmart, Disney, Tesla, Amazon, should we keep going? These are the largest, most successful. Apple, I mean, on down the line, most successful companies in the world are saying, this is ridiculous. This is our second largest expense. Every year it goes up by 10%, and there's no end in sight. And as Americans, we've been brainwashed to think that's okay. And oh, by the way, uh, each year when you get that 10% increase envelope over that nice steak dinner your broker takes you to, they say, hey, at the bottom, we put in two bullet points of the benefits we're taking away from you this year with the 10% increase. So it's actually the American business that is going to start this revolution. And the revolution has begun thanks to those companies in 2018, where Americans realize, hey, it's your home, your personal budget that can't afford this either because the businesses are just passing it off to you. But there's a very specific answer to your question, Ron, about why this hasn't happened sooner. And it's called job preservation. The HR directors and the benefits directors at whether it's mid-market companies or Fortune 500, or even to some of your listeners who might be small business owners, uh, have wanted to just keep their job and didn't want to rock the boat. And they use these lame excuses like, well, we want to recruit great talent, so we have to have a good benefit offering. Well, last I checked, my PPO sucked. So what is a, what is a good benefit offering? I was offered four CEO jobs, and the only question I asked about benefits was, is it a PPO or an HMO? But the millennials are more educated. They want personalized medicine. They want preventative medicine. They want um, telehealth and remote monitoring. They want DNA testing. And this lame excuse of we have to have good benefits, which to them means a PPO, uh, no longer is working because the millennials as of eight, 2018 are the largest generation in the workforce. So that's my answer to that question. Well, I have two more questions that came out of your answer. And the first one is, Something I got from Dave Berg. Dr. Berg is our first three interviews that we had on this show. And his prescription for fixing healthcare, eliminating waste, eliminating the middles that cause the problem, the brokers, the PBMs, is that number one, the federal government should just absorb everything over 20,000 that's catastrophic, and the insurance plan should cover everything underneath that. Number two, total transparency, which is now no longer a goal, it's happening, uh, so that everybody knows exactly what things are costing at every clinic and particularly at the hospitals, because that's where the mystery is. And then the third thing is if everybody um, um, 
well, I forgot the third thing, but I'll think of it in a little bit. But his prescription basically solves the problem. The second part of your the question that really sort of jumped out with your answer is right now, um, medical bankruptcy outperforms, if you will, all of the other categories combined for bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy. 70% of the medical bankrupts had insurance, but their deductibles were on average three to $7,000. And they just didn't, over half of Americans can't put their hands on a thousand bucks. So their health insurance is really shareholder insurance. No, no longer is it health insurance for the employee. It's protecting, you know, Cigna and Aetna. And that is really the state of affairs today. And the crossover is complete. Um, so anything you want to say about that? Yeah, I think I like the formula. The problem is, and you're right, cost pricing transparency is here, but transparency doesn't change the fact that there's still no justification for the charges that hospitals are, are passing on to you. And so I like the concept of, hey, anything over 20K, let's create a fund for the feds to absorb. But at the same time, that just opens the gate for hospitals to continue to be bad players and bad actors as they have been. Well, I'm going to interrupt you and tell you his third part that I just remembered is that everybody gets 4X Medicare, no more. So you can't charge infinite. You can't charge ridiculous amounts for insulin or for this X-ray or for a, a simple test. Yeah, it, I love the formula. It's not as easy as it's laid out, but it's certainly a good starting point. And what I would tell your listeners and Americans, look, I am the hugest fan of capitalism. When I left the C-suite, started my own companies, became an entrepreneur, I felt freedom. As a Christian, I felt like it was biblical. I, I think being your own boss is is amazing. So I am a huge fan of capitalism, but let me say one thing. I live in California, and my understanding of the law in California is nobody can come after me for outstanding medical debt, and I've talked to several lawyers about that. I think that's the case in several states. Here's what I want to tell you. If somebody provides me a service, I deserve. I believe that they deserve to be compensated fairly and adequately for it. When I take my son to the emergency room, and this is written about this story in my first book called X Acute, a former hospital CEO tells all on what's wrong with American healthcare. It's available on Amazon, but I talked about a two hour middle of the night visit to the emergency room because my son had a stomach ache when he was playing freshman football in high school. So of course, in this day and age, you're concerned anytime your kid has an issue and they're playing football, took him there, got a $4,000 bill from the hospital, a couple thousand from the physician group, and then the ancillary providers sent me another one. Uh, I looked at what they were paid by my insurance and said, hey, having run hospitals, they've covered their nut. Um, I'm good. I'm not going to pay. Part of the reason I didn't pay um, you know, I paid, I made sure each of those three providers got paid what I thought was appropriate and didn't pay the rest. And part of it was an experiment. Let's be honest, guys, with what you do wrong and what I do. Part of this is we want to see how the other side reacts. And I didn't hear from them for eight months. And finally, I got one or two phone calls. I said, will you negotiate? And they said, no, we can't. We'll have to send you to collections. And I said, well, could you send me to collections today, please? Because they will probably negotiate with me, right? And they didn't know how to respond to that. And so it must have been another nine months later before I heard from collections. And the actual first bill I got in the mail from collections discounted at 50% before I even asked, you know, and I still didn't pay. But these are the things I write about in my books. And it's not to, to screw or undercut hospitals or physicians or providers that are working hard, guys. It's to say, hey, uh, and there's a term I use a lot. And if you've read my other books, the health wealth books, it's Health Wealth is Healthcare Bankrupting Your Business from Forbes and Health Wealth for You. I talk about becoming an EHC, 
An EHC is an engaged healthcare consumer. When you buy a new car, you certainly shop for it. You shop features and lots and prices. When you buy a new house, you shop neighborhoods and school districts and bedrooms. Why not with your body? Why not with healthcare? Why aren't you doing that? Engage in the process. And my Health Wealth book series talks about, uh, well, every individual needs to take accountability for this, whether it's DNA testing and personalized medicine or using telehealth to be more convenient for you or even joining a direct primary care practice, okay? Um, it's the employer that is going to drive their employees becoming EHCs. So I basically wrote two books in the Health Wealth series that allow, here's a handbook for the employer to know how to do this and create that culture. And here's a handbook, Health Wealth for You, uh, which just came out this year, hit bestseller on launch day in, in, in uh, February. I was very grateful for that. But it, it's 11 steps on how to start this process yourself and engage to make sure. I love to use the term on wasteful. What we want to do is eliminate wasteful healthcare spending. Um, Josh, if you were the J.K. Rowling and sold 500 million copies of, of Health Wealth, may, from your my lips to God's ears, you might say, that would really um, move the dial potentially. But what I worry about is it's almost impossible, again, for employers to start shopping this for uh, because the brokers are going to present bad solution A, bad solution B and worse solution C. And it's, you know, they're going to sell them the plan that gives them the biggest commission. They can play games with how they present. Unfortunately, it's a game not in the employer's favor. So shopping until some entrepreneur steps in the gap and makes it easy for them to shop, which seems like a pretty nice business. I Maybe I'm kicking some thoughtful person off right now, but what? How do we get your prescription out there so it's actually in the market working? It's a great question, and there, there's again. I, I always think of trends as kind of a snowball. The snowball started rolling down the mountain, um, and it's just going to build momentum thanks to folks like Dave Chase and the Health Rosetta. Um, if you go to my website, which is drjoshluke.com, or you can go to health-wealth.com, we're actually launching, that's a not-for-profit, uh, Health Wealth is, and we're launching a certification and uh, for brokers, for benefits advisors, for PBMs, and you know, they all changed the, the name of broker to benefits advisor because brokers got a bad name for all the reasons you just pointed out. PBMs, man, 60 Minutes did the story last year, just destroying them basically because they basically exposed that they're compensated by the very pharmaceutical companies that they're supposedly, you know, managing costs for on, on behalf of the client. So we're basically recommending as of next week when this launches uh, that, that every um, broker, benefits advisor, PBM, every middleman, and my health wealth books have a whole chapter identifying the 12 or 13 middlemen in this process in the American healthcare delivery model, right? Uh, that everybody become health wealth certified. And it's it's a 60 to 90 minute course and attestation and pledge that just says, hey, I'm going to put the company first. The, the corporation that is contracting for benefits will be my priority. I will act with integrity. I will act with transparency. I will make sure I maximize their value and their return on investment. We're encouraging the employer and their benefits team to get certified and only to work with individuals who are getting certified as well. Uh, we think physicians and practices and clinics and DPC clinics should get this certification as well. We have a red, white, and blue seal that you get that you can put on your business card, your website, your email signature, uh, this health wealth certification. It was something that people asked for as I traveled the country. And they, you know, as you mentioned too, Ron, I'm a keynote speaker for a living. So if you have a group, guys, any type of group, whether it's HR, physicians, or just your church, I speak at churches all the time, um, that they just want to learn how to reduce the price of healthcare for families or for businesses. 
Um, that's what I do. I'm a keynote speaker. Reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn at Dr. Josh Luke. I'm on Twitter at Josh Luke, the number four health. So Josh Luke for health. Reach out to me. Go to health-wealth.com. Learn about this certification. And if you are in the benefits process or in the healthcare delivery model, require everybody you work with to get this certification. We priced it very low because there's some cost in terms of delivering books and, and certifications and things like that. But we priced it in a manner that I think it's under 129 bucks or 100 bucks. And anybody and everybody should get this certification, wear this seal proudly, and let everybody know that, hey, um, I'm certified and I'm going to put the company first that is honoring their employees and just trying to deliver value through healthcare benefits. Uh, Josh, I sort of jump frogged your new um, model and I love it. But I hired Redirect Health to do all my health care. Um, essentially, I get free primary care, unlimited unlimited chiropractic, 24-7 bilingual access to a doc. I have uh, the lowest prescription prices possible. Um, they do everything they can to keep somebody out of the hospital and away from the place of service that's going to be expensive. And they're very um, reliable at getting my employees back to work quickly or not going to work sick. And... Um, it's just remarkable when you're putting a message out there for a, a search and you can say free health care, no copay, no deductible. Um, it's costing me about 35% of what it used to cost me. So I don't use Health Rosetta, but I'm a giant fan of Dave Chase. I repost him all the time on LinkedIn. And the guy, I think, is a prophet. Like you're, you're, you fit that category. You're somebody who's been on the inside, so you have great authority, as I said in the introduction. So I'm glad we all know how to reach out to you and find you. I'm glad we know how to find this certification. What is your message to everybody in a sentence if you had to, uh, if you had a billboard on the main highway in the biggest city in America? Well, first of all, I just want to say what you guys have done at Beacon Clinics and down there in, in Texas is is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, each version of direct primary care and each benefit offering seems to be unique. And so that's why as much as some people are such huge fans of DPC, as am I, but it's different in every city and every market. So there's not like a, a map that says, here's how you do it. I want to congratulate you. You are a living example of cutting your cost by 35%. It's real. It's not a myth. So if you ask me just to share one sentence with Americans about what my platform is and what my mission is and the nonprofit is, I would say uh, every American has a right to basic health care services that are affordable. And there, there are paths to this as an individual engage in the process. You can see resources on how to do that at health-wealth.com as an employer or business owner responsible for benefits. Um, declare your tipping point, declare that, that no longer is your number two uh, expense, your second highest expense, which is healthcare benefits for your employees. Uh, is it okay to say 10% a year increase, but less benefits? Um, take it from uh, Ron who cut his cost by 35%. You can do the same. And guess what? I guarantee you, Ron just said it. Your benefits will be better when you engage. Look, when they can afford it because there's no copay, no deductible, what reason do they not? I had two or three people turn me down on it. They said, well, my dad, my husband's got coverage. And I went, he doesn't have what we have. They're he missing the boat. They'll figure that out sooner or later. And it's free. It costs you not a dime. And I got catastrophic on top just to protect you in case you get cancer or car wreck. So there is one thing I wanted to share with you. If you have a few, a couple extra minutes for your for your friend that you're having breakfast with, it's a story. I teach at the University of Southern California. I teach healthcare policy, post-acute care. And 
there's a story I tell to my students, which is, hey, um, do you guys know what the role of the emergency physician is? Because as a CEO, I hire a group of emergency docs who staffs my ED. And I do a role play where I say, hey, I'm going to send you a request for proposal. You send me a proposal as if you own the group. Tell me what you're going to do for me and what you're going to put in that. And, and I let them answer for a few minutes before I go, none of that stuff matters because they're saying, oh, quality docs, board certified docs. I say, no, I need you to tell me that you're going to convert more heads into beds into my inpatient beds. Your whole job is to get them in so I can build the government. Find any justification you can. I joke that it's not about getting assessed in ED. It's about getting justified. So the whole job of the ED doc is to get them in, as I say. So now lesson number two for my class is let's talk about what a hospitalist is. What is a hospitalist role? They have two jobs to write the admitting orders. Once an ED doctor catches a fish, excuse me, I mean, finds justification to admit somebody to the hospital. And the minute that that uh, hospitalist writes the admitting orders, there is tremendous pressure for them to start writing the discharge order and get them out as quickly as possible because that's how the fee-for-service reimbursement model and structure work. And my students have always said, I, I now understand the hospital business because of that little four or five minute exercise about what the ED doc's role is, what the hospital's role is, uh, better than I could have ever imagined. And now I'm, I'm at a better starting point for understanding why the incentives are so misaligned between hospitals, doctors, patients. So I think it's very important to share that story. Look, I, I swim in an ocean of ecosystem of Josh, Luke, and Dave Chase and other like-minded uh, thinkers that are trying to get this fixed. It's not needing to be fixed. It's already fixed. It's just we've got to publicize the evildoers and the wrong thinkers out there. And there's a lot of them. And what I can't stand are these people that have a platform like you do, and then they start proposing some extremely complicated solution that really has no chance. Anytime anybody starts talking about, re- let's get reimbursements to increase, I go, yeah, you get the RUV to meet and then get anybody to listen to them at CMS and you'll have a, a starting point. But all of these, you know, we ought to, and we should, and we, we need to, it just makes me just regurgitate. I can't take it. Your solutions are simple and practical, and it's a website, it's a book, it's a, it's a certification. Um, I really enjoy talking to you because uh, you've got answers and with, as I said, great authority. Thank you. I appreciate that. I try to keep it simple. I always say, hey, my job is to shake the tree when I speak. The experts in the room are usually folks like you that are in the audience that are doctors or, or brokers or benefits advisors. My whole job is just to shake the tree to get people to engage. And once once they do, that website uh, has uh, references to folks like Dave Chase and the Health Resort or like yourself or somebody who's running a DPC clinic or has an offering. So it's a really exciting time. And if you work in um, healthcare delivery and you want to kind of get back to what we originally started with, which is value-based care, we also offer continuing education credits for doctors, nurses, case managers, social workers, nursing home administrators, and uh, pharmacists on readmission certification, bundled payments. Uh, you get four CEUs, but you also get a seal that says you're certified in readmissions and bundled payments. You can check all those things out. Uh, you can get to them through drjoshluke.com. So, hey, thanks so much for having me. And I would love for all your listeners to follow me on LinkedIn. They don't let you connect with me anymore. Make sure you hit follow. I capped out, but I will follow you back because I get a notification. So, and uh, you can learn about all this stuff at drjoshluke.com, D-R-J-O-S-H-L-U-K-E.com. Couldn't be simpler. Josh, one final question. I'm having breakfast with my friend tomorrow. 
Am I doing her a disservice by telling her the God awful truth? No, I think what you're saying, and one of the things that took me, and, and you guys know if you follow me on social media, I'm not afraid to say anything on social media. I don't care who I took off, quite frankly, because this is about America. This is about my children. And you've heard Dave Chase say that millennials are going to spend one of every $2 they earn in their lifetime on healthcare. Well, for my kids, it's Gen Z. It's going to be more, and they're going to shrug their shoulders and say, forget healthcare. I'm not going to do it. So this is an American epidemic in a crisis. And so I have actually posted, hey, America, question, that hospital that you can't afford to go to, that the minute that you get hurt, your first thought is, I don't want to go to the hospital because I can't afford it, is sending you a postcard today asking you to donate and it feels so warm and fuzzy. Next question, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Why are you considering this? This was a baby boomer trend that, that was a community outreach that, that probably made sense back in the day before healthcare became unaffordable to the average American, even the rich American. So the only uh, out I would give your colleague there is children's hospitals are such a unique beast that, that I wouldn't go so far as to make an issue of this with children's hospitals campaigns because I think they are unique. Everything's different for them. You need to have one in your region that's good. Everybody has a soft spot for that, whether you're a parent or not. So I would just say, set the children's hospital fundraising and not-for-profit status aside. But what I would like you to do is put a bullseye on the not-for-profit status of every hospital in this country. Uh, tear up the fundraising postcards you get for hospitals that are not children's hospitals or cancer centers or specialized. And ask them to be transparent about their pricing and to start to drive costs down so healthcare is affordable for the average American. Let's get radical and let's propose to our city council that they reimpose property taxes and quit paying hospital taxes because who's paying for that fireman and that policeman that's going out to the hospital? Yeah. Not them. And they're major property owners in every city in America. Okay, well, that's that's my rant. Uh, Josh, <laughs> thank you so much. I get excited talking to you and knowing that people like you are out there. Um, we will uh, talk to you again soon, I hope. Likewise, yeah, and I'd love to have you on my podcast, my Health Wealth Podcast, which is on that same website I shared a few times, is relaunching in May of 2019 as, as a new, uh, under a new name with the same topic, which is very similar to what we've discussed today, which will be called Dr. Luke's Waiting Room, the Healthcare Authority Podcast. So I will definitely be reaching out to you to have you as a guest on that show as well. Love it, Josh. Have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.